All right, Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to do um, lessons on verse 14 to 19. I was going to try and bring 20 and 21 into it, but then you get into the studying. And it's like, I don't have time for this. Um, I will apologize to everyone listening online, since it's going to be posted online, that you're not listening to Matthew right now. Um, I don't have the same discipline study he has or the, the preparation he does, but I'm, glad, I'm just glad I don't have to do Exodus. Uh, that would be a very large task. He gave me the, uh, what, what, what do they call it, the uh, underhanded pitch? I got the underhanded pitch and uh, just uh, get to preach Ephesians, so I'm grateful for that. Ephesians is a lot easier than Exodus would be, for sure. And so my goal is to take you through the passage. To me, studying it as I was putting it into delivery, it felt like I was going to take you through the whole passage about three times because there's, there's like three things going on in this passage, and it's just so uh, amazing to me how deep God's Word is. Uh, the first time we're going to go through and see how this passage connects to God and His plan and His overriding goal for us. And then the second time we'll go through and we'll see how it relates to us and, and um, the, how we interact with the world. And then the final way we go through, I'm going to uh, show it how it relates to Christ and the gospel and we'll bring it together and see how it can, it can work. All these things can work. I know it's been a little bit since we've been in Ephesians, not too long, but just enough that maybe we don't have all the context that we used to, so I'm going to briefly take us through a little bit of a reminder. Uh, this is a book on unity. It is a book on bringing the Gentiles and the Jews together in Christ. In chapter 1, we, in verse 5, we see that Christ brings the Jews and the Gentiles together as one family through acceptance and faith in Him. And later in that chapter, verse 20 through 21, Christ was, we see how Christ was given that authority by God to bring them together. Chapter 2, we start to see more of how we were before uh, we were brought into that family. And we see our wickedness, we see our sin, we see our lacking of, of anything holy. And then later on in that chapter, we see how just like before we are in the family, our state was all the same. We were all wicked. We were all sinners. Now in the family, our status is the same. Same family, same union, and we're built together in Christ. And we see in chapter 3 how Paul starts to explain to the Ephesians that this was his mission. Uh, Paul is called the apostle to the Gentiles, but that was more of a cultural statement because the Jews were kind of a given that they were going to be brought into this, this new gospel, this New Testament. Um, but Paul was really about combining these two people into this one, uh, one religion. In chapter 2, uh, I'm sorry, in chapter 3, verse 2, we see that Paul was given this mission by, by God, and he was given this mystery to be able to preach um, and he was given all the information he needed. And in the, verse 13, we see that Paul was persecuted 
for his mission. Um, this is kind of a, a big deal because bringing the Gentiles into this religion was radical. In the Old Testament, there are lots of laws in place that separate the Jews from the Gentiles. Um, the Gentiles is a term meaning somebody not a Jew. Uh, basically a pagan, uh, uh, all those. Uh, in that time period, you have the Romans, you have the Greeks, you have uh, all these different foreigners going through. Because the Romans had built up these roads, so you had a lot more travel, a lot more trade going on, and a lot more different cultures being brought together. So Gentiles was that term made for all these other cultures that weren't Jewish cultures. Um, and the Jews were all about excluding everything from their culture, from their nation. Everything that wasn't the Old Testament was considered ungodly to them. And they they were also very uh, oppressive through the law and making people do exactly letter for letter. And then the Pharisees, we know, were, were also very putting the expectations and standards very high. So now Paul comes in, and he's giving this message of, well, guess what? It doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter um, what standards you may have had before, we're all accepted in Christ. And we're all joined together. No one gets a, a status boost because they were a Jew. No one gets a status boost because they were very religious and um, lifted up before God beforehand. No, everyone's the same. Amen. We're all equal, and we all get the gospel together. And so the Jews didn't like that. Nobody likes to give up power that they've had and that they've established. And so the Jews persecuted Paul. As a matter of fact, he was in prison at this time for his ministry to the Gentiles. Um, the Jews wanted to say he was bringing Gentiles into the temple and all these different things that were breaking their laws. And so they put Paul in, in prison for basically treason against the Jews. Um, and that's where he was now. And so the Ephesians were disheartened by it. They were probably questioning if this was actually real when you start seeing religious leaders counteract what one of your teachers is teaching. You start to wonder if that teacher was maybe false or, or things like that. So Paul gets into our passage, and we see it's a prayer. I'll go ahead and read it here. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So, first time through here, I'm going to show you how this passage kind of relates to God. Uh, John R. Stott says, One of the best ways to discover a Christian's chief anxieties and ambitions is to study the content of his prayers and the intensity that he prays in. 
that was a very convicting statement to me when I heard it. As a matter of fact, this whole passage was a very convicting passage uh, to me as I looked at my life and how I try to uh, do things. And one thing I had to not turn this message into was a uh, confessions of a Christian message. Um, so I'm not going to get into how we all come short of this. I do want to get into how we can be everything that God wants us to be. So the first thing we notice about this prayer, that it was intense and it was to an almighty God. Verses 14 to 16, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father. And he talks about how the whole family in heaven and earth is named. For the Jews, their normal stance for prayer was standing up. Uh, in the Bible, you see them standing and lifting their hands to God. So when Paul says, I'm getting on my knees to pray for you, he's taking a much more humble, a much more begging stance to this prayer. That kind of shows us a little bit of the intensity. And we also, he also gives us this context for his prayer, talking about how God is the father of, and, and the, of every uh, person in creation, in heaven and earth. And that's how we all are named. Uh, Christians, we are named, we take our name from the Father. And not just current Christians, but Christians that are in heaven and the Christians that are to come. This is the same God of all of them. Amen. So this, this is directly brought to us in this time that Paul was not just talking to the Ephesians then, but to us now, because it's the same God. And we still take that same name from that same God. The second thing we see is that this prayer that Paul's praying, that's his plan for the whole church. In verse 17 and 18, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints. That's a very key point there, with all the saints. All the saints. This isn't an individual prayer. This isn't an individual accomplishment. It's the whole church working together to fulfill God's plan. Amen. And, and that is God's plan for the church. And we see that he's including the whole church in this prayer with all the saints. And we also see what God's end goal is. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. We like to talk in high words like sanctification and purification and justification and all these vocations. But this is where the rubber meets the road. This is the sanctification process, being filled with the fullness of God, where we who are broken creatures by our sin become completed with all the, all the powers of God. Amen. And that was, that's so this almighty God that we can reach out to and we see that it's his plan for the whole church and we see that the plan is his fullness for us. So the next thing we see is how our lives relate to this passage and how we get the strength 
for this. Martin Luther King Jr. says, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. Great and fantastic statement there. So impactful. Love. Love. So easy to miss it if we don't look. So easy to take it upon ourselves and challenge ourselves if we don't realize what's going on. So the first thing we see is that we're strengthened by the Holy Spirit's power in the inner man. Verse 16 and 17, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by knowing your strengths and how to relate to others. That five ways to be more likable. It doesn't say that, does it? Through faith. Through faith. The Holy Spirit strengthens our new created man so that Christ can dwell in our hearts by meditations. And it's as simple as faith. Chapter 2 of Ephesians, in verses 1, 5, 10, and 15, God uses the statement of, we're being made alive, or we are, a new being is being created in us. If you're not saved, if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you haven't received the gospel and repented of your old ways, then you aren't going to be able to receive this. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit creates a new life in you, a new man. Lots of Paul's letters talk about the the battle between the spirit and the flesh, or the old man and the new man. This is the exact same thing, but we see that the Holy Spirit strengthens our new man so that Christ can dwell in us. One of the Holy Spirit's major jobs is to tell us about Jesus. That's one of its main jobs, is to tell us about Jesus. And that's what Paul is praying for these people, is... Have the faith that the Holy Spirit will strengthen your inner man so that Christ can dwell there. And that word dwell means that he lives there. It's in contrast to other words in the, in the Bible that mean just a visitor or, or a foreigner. No, no, that Christ would take up place in there. And I wonder how many of us will understand if, we live somewhere. How many times a day are you home? Or how much time do you spend at home? Not that much, but it's at least every day, right? Yeah. It's at least two hours just to sleep, just to, to recover at home, or to eat dinner, or to eat breakfast, or to prepare for the day. But how many of us take that same attitude with Christ living in us? How many of us take that time that Christ, will, the Holy Spirit will strengthen us. Christ will dwell in us. Do we have that faith? Or do we try and stick it out and, and push forward on our own terms? You know, 
Everyone thinks that love can be put into a bottle or a book or makes it seem like a game of chess where we have moves and counter moves to the people that we're trying to love until we finally checkmate them into being loved. We find that perfect move that gets them stuck and they can't, they can't claim that they weren't loved anymore. It's, it's more of a battle than it really is love. But that's not what this passage is about. We can't control this. We can't see the Holy Spirit working in us. We can't see Christ dwelling in us. We have to have the faith that it's happening. And, and that happens, and we pray to God that it would. The next thing we see is that we don't, aren't able to understand it without the rest of the church. Finishing the verse 17 and going into 18, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. We cannot possibly learn the full extent of Christ's love and be able to love his church until we see his love for us. And that's why we need the strength of the Holy Spirit. That's why we need to let Christ dwell in us. We need to be rooted and grounded in his love. Do you know how much God loves you? Do you know that Christ died an excruciating death on the cross for you? Not just physically, but mentally and spiritually. Do you understand what that means for him to reach down for you? A lot of times we make it seem like this generic, well, he died for everybody and he loves everybody. That's true. But he also loves you. He also loves me. And when I think of all my struggles and weaknesses and all the times that my own flesh pollutes his word and pollutes his gospel, and he still loves me, it makes it a lot easier to understand. We need to know and be confident in how much Christ loves us. He did die on the cross for us. Then we can see how his love is for others. And we'll be able to love those others ourselves. When we gather together as Christians, we hear the scripture. We get the faith. We get the understanding of his love for us. And then we can look around at each other. And we see, oh, Christ loved that person. And he loved that person in a different way that he loved me because that person's different than me. And we start to see the extent of Christ's love. There's a book called Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. It tells a story of this fictional world where um, the lion, and C.S. Lewis wrote this book. He was a Christian, and he wrote it to kind of be an analogy of, of Christ in the Bible. So this lion created this world and he set up talking creatures and all these fantastical things. Well, the part of the story is these children from our earth are taken through this gateway into this other world and the lion introduces them to his creatures. And through a series of events, there's a battle, they're fighting evil. The lion gives his life for the creatures and the children 
and they all live happily ever after. But the main point of that story is these children, they were accepted by those creatures because of who brought them together. Like there was evil in that world. If she would have brought these children to the creatures, they would have rejected them. But it was the, the lion who loved these creatures that brought these children to them. And so they accepted those children and they even treated them like royalty. When we understand who it is that is bringing the church together, we know that our common denominator is that Christ died for all of us. Every Christian in the church, Christ died for them. And if Christ thinks that that person is worthy enough for him to die for them, how can we reject them? How can we turn them away? We hear about how Christ died for everyone. We hear how he brings everyone together. But now let's bring it down to the road. What about that homeless person? Can we accept them if Christ brings them to us? How about that political leader? It's easy to accept the, the homeless person because you have something to give them. What about the person that you don't have anything to give? Can we accept them? What about that rebellious teenager that Christ brings to us? Can we accept them? Can we learn how much Christ loves everyone? You're not going to do that on your own. You're not going to do that by reading books. Our the church is our opportunity to learn how Christ loves everyone. And we get to see the whole extent of Christ's love by looking at each other. And you see the faults and you see the mistakes. You think they're hiding them from God? No. But God still loves them. God still brought them into his family, his body, and he died for them. He died for us. That's how we learn Christ's love is by looking at each other and telling each other the gospel and loving each other and accepting each other. The next thing we see that it's this love that is the gateway to be filled with the fullness of God. Chapter 19, um, verse 19, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. You start learning the extent of Christ's love, you start getting more filled with the fullness of God. Tim Keller says, the knowledge of the spiritual things of God is like saying you visited a city by looking at a road map. I remember as a kid, my dad, um, those were four GPSs and all these fancy things. We would go on a trip and he would pull out all these maps and be like routing his route. And I'm sure some of you uh, older members here understand exactly what that is. Uh, maps of all these different states. And Just because you know the roads to a place and the location of every store or, or whatnot by looking at a map doesn't mean you know the city. That's so true. 
the phrase filled with the fullness of God gives the idea of a hole getting filled in, kind of like mudding your drywall. Once you put your drywall up, uh, you put the mud on there, so it fills in all the holes and gives it that finished look. When we get saved, we're given access to all the riches of God and all the gifts and all the grace that He has to give us. And when we read the Scripture, we learn about all that stuff. But it takes the rest of the church and us learning the love of Christ to get that filled, finished product so that we have the fullness of God. There's a superhero. His name is The Flash. He's been around a while. There's many movies and stuff out there. But he's just a, a regular guy who gets struck by a bolt of lightning standing in a pool of chemicals. And he's given super speed. Runs at the speed of light. When he first gets his superpowers, he doesn't even understand what's going on. All he knows is that he's getting places fast. But he starts to study and he starts to practice his superpowers and he learns how to unlock these different abilities and how to use them to their fullest extent. A lot of us are the same way, or everyone's the same way. We get saved and we get access to all these amazing things of God. And then we come together as a church and we start learning what it means and we start practicing that love on each other and that grace and that mercy and that forgiveness on each other. And that's how we unlock this potential, this fullness of God. We can't do that by ourselves. All you're going to learn by yourself is selfishness. There's a, there's a lot of people out there that want to talk about these secluded experiences and I can't speak to that, but I just see here that God's plan is for us to be together and for us to love each other and to understand how Christ loved us so that we can understand the full extent of Christ's love and then, we re and then we're able to be filled with the fullness of God. You know, we all know that we're supposed to love. And so we try to train our hearts and discipline our characters to love, but we just can't seem to get there. We always fall so short. That's because we need faith. It's because we need the gospel. So I'll take you through it this last time. Bring it all together. You know, we see in the early parts that it's very easy for God to give his fullness. Because of its, it's, it's described as his abundant riches. The source isn't lacking. The source for the fullness of God is not lacking. But we always try to go other places. We always try to go to books. We always try to go to study and self-discipline. But that's not the source. Our source is God. We see that it's the Spirit that desires Christ to dwell in us. And it's the Spirit that strengthens us to, for Christ to dwell in us, for Christ to be that present thing to help us. 
if we put our faith in him. You know, he proved that he would not hold anything back from us when he died on the cross. So God has this abundance of riches. And he's proven that he's not holding anything back from us. Can we have that faith? Can we believe that? Can we grasp the riches that he's willing to give us? And none of these things are ours to begin with. As Apostle Paul says, it's God who grants. It's It's the Holy Spirit who strengthens us. It's Christ who dwells in us. And it's Christ's love that we learn. And we are filled by God with his fullness. See how little we have to do with this? There's literally only two things we can do in this whole passage. First one is have faith. Second one is be with other saints. Those are the only two things that we can do here to reach the fullness of God. Only by faith can we have access to his love. And only by being together and practicing that love and learning from the scriptures as it's preached and from each other as we disciple each other can we see the fullness of Christ and his love. It's only Christ that can give you the love you truly need, you need to truly love others. Our church desires to love each other. We're, we're growing to that. That's our, that's our ultimate goal is to be able to love each other so that we can show the world Christ's love. Amen. And this is how we do it. This is how we do it. Have faith that Christ is dwelling in you. Have faith that Christ loves you. And because Christ loves you, see how he loves other believers. Accept them. Love them. Because Christ loved them. Not because you think they're worthy. Not because you think you're unworthy to love people. Because Christ loved them. And that's the gist of this passage. Love is the answer. The Beatles got the answer, but they just had the wrong source. They made the song, Love is All You Need. They had no idea what they were talking about. But that statement is so true. Love is all you need, but it's Christ's love.